Well, I am uh, really excited that we finally get to start our series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. We've been praying about this and planning for this for quite some time. I want to welcome those of you joining us just at this moment from our sanctuary. Welcome and good morning to you. The Beatitudes are eight countercultural statements of Jesus describing life in this upside-down kingdom of God. And as we study these statements, it's going to require some difficult self-examination. Uh, we're going to wrestle with some preconceived notions. Uh, we're going to do our best to understand and live in this new reality that Jesus described. I've suggested that you might want to commit these eight statements to memory as a way of internalizing them. This is very doable, and each week we're going to read all the Beatitudes as a way of kind of helping each other through this. And, uh, and our team developed kind of a fun idea to help us. Every week for the next eight weeks, we're going to release a new uh, home screen or wallpaper for your phone. And you can visit ward.church slash newsfeed and save the image and then set it up to be your wallpaper as I have done here this morning. Uh, now I confess, I had, to, I had to ask a 14-year-old to remind me how to do that because I don't change mine very often the way some of you do. And if you're, if you're a person who avoids technology, you can just do, uh, download that image, print it out, and put a printout around your house. We should all do this. Put it on your refrigerator and on your uh, mirror. So we're just surrounded, and we're going to soak in one beatitude every week. And you're going to see that image uh, drawn by a volunteer here at Ward Church. And we're just going to see, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to soak and meditate in that beatitude for a whole week. And the next week we'll get the, get the new one and on and on. I do want us this morning to read aloud in unison all of the Beatitudes to kind of set the frame for our series. And uh, we're going to read this from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 1, and we will read all the way through verse 12. And I ask you, if you don't mind, please, please to stand to your feet here in Knox Hall there in the sanctuary as well. Please stand for the reading of God's Word as we read aloud together. Uh, these famous words from Matthew's Gospel, and we begin. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. 
You may be seated. Thank you. Well, a few months ago, I was privileged to attend the annual talent show for Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is the Young Life program for teens with developmental disabilities, and it was a fantastic show. Uh, there were student singers and dancers and even comedians, and those of us in the audience, we, we laughed and cried and cheered. And as we've been planning for this series on the Upside Down Kingdom, my thoughts continue to drift to our friends in our special needs ministries. I think about who our world says is blessed versus who Jesus says is blessed. When I'm with our special needs friends at, at Capernaum, which is for teens, or Potter's Wheel, which is for adults, or Hand in Hand, which is for children, I marvel at the loving, welcoming, non-judgmental environment. And I wonder if they're not just miles ahead of us in understanding and living in this kingdom that Jesus described. Our speaker this morning is Kelsey Jenny. Kelsey is the local director of Young Life Capernaum, and in, in addition to working with Capernaum, she travels all around the country speaking at Young Life camps and banquets. Uh, you may know that Young Life is a Christian ministry to middle school, high school, and college-age kids uh, in all 50 states and in 90 different countries around the world. Kelsey is a Northville native and a graduate of Northville High School. She is a regular Knox Hall attendee and a Ward Church volunteer. Uh, would you please welcome our own Kelsey Jenny. Kelsey, come on up. Good morning, good morning. Thank Thanks, Scott. How is everybody? Good. Um, I'm going to move this a little bit because I'm a walker. Okay. <laughs> I like to use the stage. Um, yes, that is my real laugh, and this is my real hair. So just in case we haven't met, <laughs> just take it in. I know it's a lot for you, but I'm myself, so, you know, you'll get used to it. Um, I am so grateful to be here. Like Scott said, um, I attend um, Knox and love the 11 o'clock um, service here, and so I'm just really grateful not only um, for our collaboration with Ward, but just to be um, here and with you all today and excited, just very excited to share with you this morning. As I've been thinking um, about this beatitude in particular, and the blessed are the poor in spirit, happy are the poor in spirit, my first thought was this is countercultural uh, to the way that we live. I don't know if you're anything like me, but more is better. Um, more is what I want. <laughs> more is what I think I need. And in so many ways, more is what I hear all the time. Um, I want more. I need more. And, and then we just kind of get into this mental stage where we loop. I want what I want. I need what I need. And, um, and, and if we think about it, this is not something any of us would say, happy are the poor in spirit. I think the American way to say it would be happy is the more <laughs> in spirit. Um, and yet Jesus says something so radical and different. Blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I think in some ways we are very similar to one of my dogs, and I will explain that. <laughs> um, I have three golden doodles, so can you imagine me walking down the street with this hair and three massive dogs? <laughs> I know my neighbors talk about me. Um, actually refer to me as Little Orphan Annie, so um, <laughs> uh, I have a house. <laughs> um, but I have three golden doodles. Uh, I can tell a lot about them, but Milo, the middle one, 
Uh, he, so imagine like a fluffy 85-pound dog, okay? Um, and my older dog, Mason, was like the perfect puppy, okay? So I had him, uh, he was like just, you know, one of those dogs that like did everything right. You're like, I don't understand why people say puppies are difficult. This is amazing. And, um, and a year later, I decided to get Milo, and uh, Milo was a puppy and uh, would chew things and do bad stuff. And I was like, man, you should really be more like your brother. And uh, so Milo, for some reason, loved anything that was white. So the dryer sheets he loves, um, he loves to eat snow, especially as a puppy, he was obsessed with socks. And so I was folding laundry one day, and um, I'm kind of like, you know, just, you know, in the rhythm, and you look down and you have three socks, or I have four socks left, and I'm like, okay, you know, and I went to do something and came back. Mason, my older dog, is kind of the police of Milo, and um, so he would do this thing to, like, tell me that Milo was doing something wrong, I swear. Uh, he would kind of, like, go to the corner of the room and, like, inhale very deep. So it would be like, ah, you know, and I was like, oh, where's Milo? Like, he's doing something bad. And um, so in this day particularly, he would go, he went to the corner of the room, kind of went like this, ah, you know, and I was like, Milo. And I look at Milo, and he has a sock in his mouth. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> you're a bad dog. And uh, so, you know, you kind of like cautiously chase the dog around the house, you know, for a little bit, um, slowly, because you don't want to startle him. And, uh, you know, and then it turns into more of aggression. You're like, seriously, give me the sock, you know. And um, he now thinks it's a game, so he's like, ah, you know, and I was like, I hate you. And. Uh, so we go down the stairs, and he's holding it in his mouth, and I realize, like, I have one moment to, like, grab the sock, or, like, the sock is going to be ingested, and so as I go to grab the sock, he swallows it whole, okay, and I was like, no, you know, and Mason's like, Aah! okay, and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, so I decide what you shouldn't do is I Google, you know, and that's how I type, I Google, uh, dog, dog eats sock, and it's like, dog will die, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and um, so I do the next best thing, I call the vet, and I, you know, they say, hi, Kelsey, because I call a lot. And um, so I was like, hey, guys, uh, I think I have one dog that's having a heart attack, and I'm pretty sure the other one's going to die in 12 seconds, so can you help me out? So they told me if the dog doesn't pass the sock, which, you know, in dog language means like throwing it up or, you know, the other way, in, in 48 hours, then you need to bring him in. So I cancel everything, right? I like watch this dog. And if you looked at Milo, he is like playing and eating and drinking. I mean, you would never know that he had just ingested a sock. And um, for, so for the first 24 hours, I'm like calling my parents, like, you gotta come say goodbye. They're like, stop calling us. I was like, okay, I love you. And uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, and Mason's just like permanently like this, like, and I was like, it's gonna be okay. And um, you know, telling all my neighbors, like, this is the end, like this, is, it's over, you know? And um, they're like, you really are crazy. And uh, so next 24 hours, I am like, you know, preparing the funeral and like all the things, you know, just kind of like, it's your last meal, it's your last day. And um, in the middle of the night, I was sleeping next to him, like just to make sure. Uh, in case he had thrown it up. And I hear this, if you have a dog, it's like the most glorious sound ever. It's like, glug, 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 you know? And I wake up out of a dead sleep, and I just yell at him, do it, you know? And um, in one moment, he throws the sock up without thinking. I grab the sock, which is disgusting, okay? Mason's like, ah! I was like, it's going to be fine. I pick the sock up, and I yell, you did it. I lived in a condo at the time. My neighbor, Gloria, knocks on the wall and goes, he threw up the sock, didn't he? And I was like, you bet AJ Gloria, okay? Like, never have been more excited in my life. Now, whenever I fold laundry, I shut the door on my lawn. I'm like, you're a bad dog. You did a bad thing, you know? Um, and I don't think that very many of us ingest or inhale socks. I hope not. Um, but the truth I want to tell you is that I'm a very good dog mom. I feed Milo great quality food. Uh, I take him on walks. I love him dearly. Milo, if given the choice, would continue to eat socks. 
I don't know what it is about them, but he thinks they fill him up or maybe they taste good or whatever his thing is. I really believe that you and I are very similar to Milo, that we ingest and inhale, that we take on whatever we think feels good. Whatever we think is the more that we need in that moment, whatever we think will make us feel very good. Whatever we think, I want what I want, I need what I need, we just ingest and inhale. And maybe it's what people around you say is valuable or important about you. And maybe it's finances or relationships or the promotion in your job. I really believe, friends, that we are motivated by more. I want what I want, and I can make it work, and I can figure it out. That's ingesting and inhaling what the world around you says is important and valuable. And then the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor. See, I think if we're living the Beatitudes, we are living with intention and with purpose. We are living rooted into a man named Jesus and rooted into the truth of who he is and who he says you and I are. In Genesis, the God of the universe says, we are the crown of creation. We are very good. Now, I actually think that we're very similar, not only to Milo, uh, but to the disciples. And um, the disciples are like the most hilarious uh, group of guys, these knuckleheads um, that follow Jesus for three years on foot. Can you imagine following the God of the universe in human form, watching him walk? You're like, he walks pretty cool. You're a good guy. <laughs> you know, you invented walking. You're awesome. Like, you know, I mean, amazing. Like, they watch Jesus breathe. They watched him eat a meal. They watched him take a nap. Like these guys were so close to the God of the universe in human form. And if we read anything about them, they still were constantly posturing and trying to figure out who had power and always puffing themselves up to feel like the best of the best of the very, very best, to feel very good in the presence of Jesus to feel more. I want what I want. They would ask Jesus who he loved more. I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> they're like, do you love me or do you love him? Because I think you love me more, but I was just asking. Like, they're like willing to ask the question in the presence of the God of the universe. They're, they're willing to ask, who do you love more? Who do you think is more? Who will sit with you at the right hand in heaven? I love you, Jesus. Do you love me the most? Here's the interesting thing. There's an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples and I think we could find ourselves in this story. This is in Mark. Jesus has just fed the 4,000. Uh, he has an interaction with the Pharisees, and then he gets into the boat with the disciples. It says, this, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So disciples in the boat. He had just fed the 4,000. They bring one loaf of bread, and Jesus says these words to them. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch them, or J Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So Jesus says this, he says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. So he's telling the disciples. And really what that is, is the, the yeast of the Pharisees would be, you know, kind of this like religious act. Puffing yourself up, wanting to hold the power, wanting to be the most important person in the room, holding religious rules over love. That's the Pharisees. And the love of Herod would be the love of the world. What the world tells you is valuable and important. What the world says you should be and the way that you should act and all the things that you should be about. And so Jesus says, do not, I think in his language he's saying, do not love anything 
more than me. And, and the interesting thing, I did a Bible study last year with a group of women, actually a couple that go to Ward here, and um, yeast is actually a very small particle uh, that's used to make bread rise. And you don't need a lot of it. I mean, truthfully, you need a very little amount in order for bread to rise. So it's as if Jesus is saying, oh, don't love anything. And I mean anything more than me. Love me first. Love me and I promise I will give you what you need. Watch out for the love of the world and the love of religious rules. They discuss this with each other, and this is what they say. Is it because we have no bread? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, friends, he just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread, all right? These guys witnessed that miracle. Get into a boat— have one loaf of bread, and there's 13 of them total, including Jesus, okay? They're sitting in a boat. Jesus says, do not love anything more than me. Love me first. And all of the guys are like, man, we, he's hungry. <laughs> we screwed up. You know, like, they're like <laughs> I mean, it is unbelievable. So they start arguing with each other, like, I think it was Peter's turn to bring the bread and, and you know, and the fish, but he, he totally screwed up. He didn't go to the grocery store, you know, or whatever their interaction is. They just start fighting with each other. And what's interesting about that is their lens is what they don't have, right? Their lens is what's missing. They are sitting in the boat with the God of the universe who has fed 4,000 people moments before, and yet they doubt or they don't believe or they question whether or not the God of the universe can feed them, the 12 guys. Isn't it amazing that we can be so close to the God of the universe, and yet so far from his power. Isn't it amazing that we can stand in a church building like this and doubt that the presence and power of Jesus can be real in our lives? I think even too often for myself, my lens is what I'm missing or what I don't have or the way that I don't measure up. My lens is in the brokenness in my own world or the situations and chaos that swirl around me and the things that I can't control. My lens is not that the God of the universe is with me and for me and not against me. My lens is so often not that God can do what he says he can do, that God is who he says he is. And I think my lens is very similar to the disciples. I start with what I don't have or where I lack. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asks them these eight beautiful questions. And I don't think that Jesus is angry or upset. Friends, I believe that he says these with such compassion, not only for these 12 men, but for you and for me. These are the questions. Why are you talking about having no bread? Oh, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of, piece, of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Now, that's some crazy Holy Spirit math. I mean, listen to that again. He says, 
When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they said. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. The amazing thing is that the lens is different if we choose to believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. See, it's five basketfuls for 5,000 and the remainder is 12. It's seven basketfuls for 4,000 and the remainder is seven. Friends, when our God starts with less, he is actually able to do more. When our God starts with less, he is actually able to do more. See, our lens, friends, our lens needs to be that the God of the universe is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. That needs to be the starting point. He is in the boat alongside of each of us, and I believe is asking us these questions. See, the truth is, is that each one of us is seen and celebrated by the God of the universe. Each one of us is known by him. You are designed and created by the God of the universe who every day of your life sees you and hears you and knows your name. And when the situation in the boat is swirling and chaotic and crazy, the God of the universe says, oh my gosh, you don't remember. Oh, you still don't understand who I am and who I can be in your life. I am the God of the universe. I am the healer. I am the good giver. I am the one that is always for you and never against you. And then constantly asks us questions. Oh, where do you need me to show up and show off in your life? Where do you need me to remind you that you are celebrated and seen? Where are the places that you have forgotten? Oh, do you still not understand? See, the God of the universe in every moment of every day of our lives only wants to be with us, offering us goodness and grace and mercy and healing. But our lens is I want what I want, and I can figure it out, and I can make it work, and I can do this thing on my own. But friends, I would argue that when we start to live celebrated and seen, we start to live in the great reversal. The great reversal that says, because my God is good and the giver of all good things, therefore I can live good in the way that God has gifted and equipped and designed me. My friends in Capernaum, and I will cry like crazy about them, um, because they are people in the world that often are dismissed or not thought about, or, or we kind of think that they're cute or fun. Friends, the, the folks that I work with in Capernaum are some of the most authentic transparent, vulnerable people. They are some of the most dear friends in my life because the way that they show up is authentic and real. Hey, just be who you are. If you want to laugh today, laugh, and if you want to cry today, cry. They are some of the people that remind me most dearly about a man named Jesus and the way that he cares and loves me. See, because I think that when we are poor in spirit, what we do is we come to the God of the universe trusting that he is the one. We are confident that God is the one that does the work. And regardless of what the situation looks like or feels like, we claim that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do. That's the way that I want to live in every storm and trial and question and frustration and doubt. And I will be honest with you, I am in a season where that is real for me. <laughs> 
But what I have found is that actually going to Capernaum Club, we meet here on Tuesday nights, has been such a refreshment for my soul to be with people that just love me for me. And I have started to fall in love with who God says I am. And not because I've mustered it up or I've figured it out or because I am perfect. That is far from true. But because I sit in the boat with a group of people that ask me hard questions. Where do you not understand? Where do you doubt? Where does it feel like God is missing? Where are you looking for the miracle in your life? Friends, who is in the boat with you? What are they pointing you towards? Are you showing up with the face of Jesus, claiming that he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do? Or are you trying to muster it up and make it work and figure it out on your own? You are celebrated and you are seen. You are known by the God of the universe. And I think what happens when we really believe that, when we come to Jesus, when we're confident of who he says he is, when we claim that he will do what he says he can do, we live freely. We live seen and we live celebrated. So all of the gifting that God has given to you, all of the things that you are able to do because our God is the good giver, those things are celebrated. We don't have to wonder what the person next to us thinks or what the folks at work want to say about us, or what our friends do or don't do to celebrate us, or the things that are chaotic and swirling. Instead, we say, God, remind me who I am and who you are. God, tell me once again the gifts that I've been given, and we live in victory because we're living vulnerably in the world, which is radically different, which is the great reversal. We are living with intention, Instead of inhaling and ingesting everything around us, we are living founded and rooted and firmly planted in the love of Jesus that can and will change your life and your story. In a second, I would love to bring up uh, my friend Adam. Uh, Adam is one of our very first Capernaum friends, uh, is an incredible, incredible friend that we have at Capernaum. Adam has been given a gift. Not only does he worship the Lord in, in song and in prayer, um, but Adam worships the Lord by joy. He loves musicals. He is very funny. Um, I have learned so much from my friend Adam about what it looks like to use gifts uh, for the glory of the Lord to the great um, I am. Adam, would you come up? Can we welcome Adam? As Adam sings, I would just love for you to think and maybe even potentially pray about how the God of the universe has gifted you. What question would the God of the universe ask you in the boat today? Adam?
friends, each one of us um, has been given a gift by the God of the universe. And you have the choice to make it work and to figure it out, to do more, or hear the invitation from a man named Jesus to you and to me. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the one who comes and is confident to claim the promises that a man named Jesus freely gives to you and to me. We are all celebrated and seen. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where your vulnerability is God's victory? Where your vulnerability is God's claim to the gifting that he's given to you? Where you believe every morning when you wake up that the God of the universe is in the boat with you saying, oh, where don't you understand today? Because I want to tell you again how much I love you. Where do you think you're lacking? Because I want to tell you again how much goodness you've been given. Happy are the poor in spirit because we inherit everything the world is striving for just by being his, gifted by the God of the universe to you and to me who is just waiting for us to come. Adam, would you pray for everybody? Heavenly Father, thank you for everything. Beautiful again. For coming here, me, the whole crew, and thanks for inspiring me. And we are now who we are. Who we are, but not Jesus. And how children of God. And Blessing the Lord who gives us day or day bread, and never not trespassing, and neither can know the trespass against us. And neither not temptation, but deliver from evil, for in the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever, ever. Amen. Hey, well done, Adam. Oh, I've I've heard Adam sing before, and uh, I and I knew I knew this would be a great moment for our church. He really believes what he sings and prays, and you inspire me. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to invite our musicians out here in Knox Hall and there in the sanctuary. Um, and before we sing, I'd like you to to bow in prayer and just and just pray for the person on your right. Okay, uh, and, and you might have to, it might be someone you know, it might be someone you don't know. You might have to look down your row a little bit there to do that. But here's what I want you to pray. Just bow your head right now and pray that the person on your right would know the blessing and the kindness of God. Pray that the person on your right would have the courage to live in a countercultural kingdom of God, to stand up and go against the flow of what our world says about who matters, about who gains and who wins. Pray the person on your right would approach this week ahead with greater awareness of the kingdom, with greater awareness of the will of Jesus in his or her life, and that we would live with, with boldness and authenticity, that we would model a greater poverty of spirit that would lead us to health and wholeness. Pray God's blessing in Jesus' name. <laughs>